Welcome to Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts. In each episode, I'll read one short story from the pages of vintage science fiction magazines from the Pulp and Digest eras. Join me as we explore stories from a bygone era. Some are long forgotten. Others have had a lasting impact on science fiction. Stories are selected that represent interesting, compelling, or exciting examples of science fiction from the 1930s to the 1960s. In the first season of Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts, I'm reading stories from Universe Science Fiction. Universe Science Fiction was first published in June 1953 by Ray Palmer. It ran for just 10 issues, with its run ending in March 1955. It was then merged with another of Palmer's magazines, Other Worlds, which later became Flying Saucers from Other Worlds. Today's story is The End, a story written by Charles E. Fritch and published in the first issue of Universe Science Fiction. There would be no final day, for Earth could not last beyond the dawn. There would be this night, then a brief interval of morning, and then nothing. It would be swift, efficient, final. The sun would claw hungrily at the horizon, feeling the mountains with fingers of fire and turning them into bright liquid. The sun would rise for the last time, a grim giant, large and terrible, and then it would be over. Within seconds, the last bulwark would go, and Earth would be a bright cinder, a memory, a speck of light still seen by some distant star for years to come, and then be suddenly blotted out, a fact recorded with other minute data and forgotten. George and Laura sat together staring into the darkness of the final night, waiting. It should have been three billion years from now, she whispered. Three billion years. The calculations were okay, George said, barring chance. But that's the loophole, that barring chance. There's always a loophole. There has to be, because calculations are never wrong. They're only changed to accommodate new factors. Like the fact that the Earth won't wait to be destroyed in three billion years, for instance. But on January 22nd, 2027 AD, about 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, he glanced again at his watch. The numbers glowed like cold fire in the darkness of the room. What time is it? 4.35. Less than an hour. She shivered. Cold? No, she said. Not cold. He put his arm about her. Before them lay the range of mountains, which were the last barrier between them and the sun. The other side of the earth was already burning, shriveling grass and trees and hills and mountains and continents. The water was boiling away in great clouds, and the very air was afire. It seems funny, she said, to see the mountains with no snow. How warm do you suppose it is? Pretty warm for January, he said. If we were out there now, we'd probably be parboiled. Abruptly, they became aware of the air-conditioning units purring softly in the room, making the air comfortable. 
Science did have some correct answers, it seemed. After a while, the sound seemed to fade as they gazed into the starry night. She said, I wonder what it'll be like. Should be quite a thing, he said. I'd like to have the popcorn concession for this show. Please, she said. No jokes. Okay, he said quietly. No jokes. She was right, of course. It was no time to joke. He had wondered what the last night would be like, how he would react. He tried desperately to tell himself that it wouldn't matter, that Earth was just a speck of dust in the universe, and that its existence or destruction was of no consequence. But that was not the way it was at all. He had lived on that speck of dust. He and Laura had lived there happily, despite the attempts to incite war and hate to destroy the dream they had forged. They had expected to live there peacefully for a good many years more, watching the youngsters grow, playing with them in the long, cool grass on summer evenings. He did not mind so much for himself, but the children. How are Bill and Jackie? he wondered. Sleeping. Do you think we should wake them? No, he said. No, let them sleep. She nodded. I don't suppose there would be any point in it. Only frighten them, he said. Even as we are frightened, he thought grimly, and trying not to show it. It was all so sudden, the way it had happened. There was no meeting of the United Nations, no rendezvous of military leaders, no bickering or haggling. Nature didn't work that way. There was just one decision, with everything else subordinated to it. Strange, too, the way the wars had stopped, suddenly with the realization that it was meaningless, that the acquisition of anything was now useless. He was surprised it had been so, humans being human. There were a few outbreaks of rioting and looting, of course, but they were put down. Everyone wanted to become friendly in the face of God. It might be their last chance. Like many others, he still didn't know exactly how it had happened. He'd heard the bulletins on the radio and television, read the theories and explanations offered in newspapers and magazines, but he wasn't certain he cared. Something about the sun and its system passing through a cloud of cosmic dust. Why that should cause the sun to overheat, he didn't know. The thing to remember was that it would. And did. Remembering was no problem. The first few days and nights had been spectacular. He recalled the meteorites bursting in flaming ribbons of blue and red and green, crisscrossing the skies and bright streamers that whistled and shrieked like frightened banshees. It was a million Fourth of Julys rolled into one, a Technicolor production of the end of the world. It was awesome, frightening. But it was not the end, merely the prelude, the celestial announcement of things to come. More calculations of the scientists, the hushed secrecy surrounding them, the final, inevitable pronouncement. The Earth was doomed. The announcement came six months ago. Some people thought it was a joke, a very unfunny joke indeed. But it was cold, hard fact. The sun would turn into a small nova, reach out with a flaming hand to grasp the Earth. And that would be that. People prayed. People wept. People went quietly and not so quietly mad. Some committed suicide. Others built rockets. Businessmen who kept the space platform from being a reality offered to provide money necessary to build rockets which would carry them to safety. But money was useless now. It was strange that a form of equality should come so late. He stared at the mountains without seeing the orange halo about their peaks. Right out there, he reminisced, is where the rockets stood. He sighed proudly. It took a lot of work, but we did it. She nodded, remembering the long hours, the increasing heat, the longer hours. The hurried fitting of section onto section, like a frantic jigsaw puzzle. The installation of motors that could not be pretested. The hydroponic tanks, the cattle, the seeds, the humans. 
Many who worked on it could not go, for there was not enough room. Straws were drawn, some won, others lost. Some would go aboard the rocket to bid for survival, others... And right from here, he said, remembering, we sat and watched it rise into the sky, bearing the hopes of humanity with it, like a sky rocket, a silver wand, a breath of fire. Yes, she said, it was beautiful. Beautiful, he said. He stared at the sky. There were other rockets in all parts of the world. I wonder if they got away. She didn't answer. She was gazing at the silhouette of the tall mountains, the fringe of color growing about their peaks. It won't be long now, he said. His fingers gripped the edges of the chair. The sky was glowing. She turned away. I don't want to look at it, she cried suddenly. It's too horrible. I want to look at it, he said. If it hadn't happened this way, mankind would have done it anyway with an atom bomb or hydrogen bomb or a God only knows what kind of a bomb they'd have found a way. He stared at the range of mountains in a kind of fascination. The mountains were turning red. The sky behind them was afire. Here it comes, he said. Here it comes. He did not look at her, but he knew she was staring at it too, hypnotized by the sight. The end of Earth. The end of Earth. The end. The end. George. She gripped his arm. The mountains became glowing coals. They danced in shimmering brilliance. They melted into gleaming cataracts that flowed like golden rivers into the valley, smoking. Behind them, the sun rose into view, magnified a millionfold, a great white mass that encompassed all. Their eyes went aflame. The earth exploded in a sea of fire. Laura screamed. Darkness. The cooling darkness of the room swept in upon them, and earth and the heat and flame were gone, millions of miles in the space behind them. They sat together in awed silence, breathing heavily, hearing only the air conditioning and the dull throb of the rocket motor deep within the spaceship's belly. They watched the television screen as though expecting more, perhaps some miraculous rebirth of the world that was. The transmitter probably vaporized immediately, he said after a while. He stood up. Well, Laura, it's all over. Yes, she said wearily. All over for poor, tired Earth. And now what? He shrugged. Maybe Bill and Jackie and the other youngsters will know, eventually. Or maybe their children or their children's children, if they can hold out that long. The spaceship may go on for generations before they find a suitable world. They may never find one. Then all we can do is teach what we know and hope they can build another Earth. Not another Earth, Laura, he amended gently. A better one. Arm in arm, they strode from the room to join the others. For Earth, it was the end. For humanity, it was only the beginning. Charles E. Fritch, a Charles E. Fritch, a Charles E. Fritch, a prolific science fiction writer, had his first story published in 1951 and his final published in 1999. He also wrote mystery novels and was the editor of Mike Shane Mystery Magazine from 1979 to 1985. The end appeared in the first issue of Universe Science Fiction. All issues of Universe Science Fiction are available on the Internet Archive at archive.org. This episode marks the conclusion of Season 1 of Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts. Let me know what you'd like to hear in future seasons of this show. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen and enjoy the hunt for more fascinating science fiction.